welcome to episode 45 of Roll, Play, Grow, the podcast for tabletop entrepreneurs, creators, and fans. I am Courtney Stover of Lighthearted Adventures, and in this podcast, we talk to the creators behind the brands in the tabletop roleplay gaming space about who they are and how they are turning their passion for gaming into a career. Our guest today is D'Angelo Murillo, a writer, streamer, game designer, and activist. He founded a really cool blog and website that puts a spotlight on cosplayers and other creators called The Geek Life and has continued that theme into his streamed games on Twitch. We talk about the site, his journey into content creation, his actual play and charity streams, and then we pivot to talking about his game that he's designing that is about to launch on Kickstarter, Emerald Templars. There are so many good nuggets and so much great advice in this episode, and I know that you'll learn a lot. In case you've missed this announcement from the last few episodes, I now have my own Patreon for Roleplay Grow. So if you want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash roleplaygrow, and you'll find a tier as low as $3 a month. Perks include having early access to the guest list, being able to add your questions to upcoming interviews, behind-the-scenes content, shoutouts on my website in the show. I would love if you'd go check it out and help me work towards some goals like being able to hire an editor so that I can keep up with episodes. I hope you'll check it out. Lastly, another way that you can help support the show is by checking out our affiliates like the creator behind the most delicious and nerdy tea, Friday Afternoon Tea. Friday makes some truly amazing blends inspired by so many books, movies, shows, and more. We just stocked up on a whole bunch more tea, and we are really enjoying working our way through this spring sampler pack right now. To learn more about Friday Afternoon Tea and our other affiliates, go to lightheartadventures.com slash our favorite trinkets. That is all for now, so please sit back and enjoy this conversation with D'Angelo. Hello, friends. I am here with the amazing writer, game designer, and activist, D'Angelo Murillo. Hello, D'Angelo. How are you today? I'm good. I'm really excited to be here. And thank you again for like having me on here. And uh, yeah, I'm so excited to get into our topics. Yeah, me too. I have definitely been admiring the work that you're doing from, you know, afar across oh, the Twitterverse. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm just excited to pick your brain. But to start things off, can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into gaming? Yeah, so my name is D'Angelo Murillo, and I am a uh, game designer and writer, event organizer, and all sorts of other things uh, based out of, like, Phoenix, Arizona. And um, I've played video games, like, all my life, but I really got into and found a passion for tabletop role-playing games in about 2008 when I was 18 years old. And that was just simply where Dungeons & Dragons was coming out with its fourth edition. It was brand spanking new. And I always wanted to try to get into Dungeons & Dragons uh, in one way or another because it's like the mecca, the ultimate sign that someone is like a a true geek is if they play Dungeons & Dragons. But no one around me um, had groups or if they had groups, they weren't looking for new members. Uh, so I did what I always do, which was like, if no one else is going to do it, then I'll do it. So I spent my whole paycheck, bought all the books for, um, fourth edition, uh, spent a whole lot of time like researching it and learning it probably spent, uh, more brain energy than I did in, in any college course or like exam or anything like that, uh, to learn the rules. But, um, sure enough, I did. And I had friends lined up to to play with me, even though I got a lot of things wrong at the beginning and uh, made a lot of beginner mistakes for being a dungeon master and all that kind of stuff. But afterwards, even if the session was was very like awkward or what have you, 
they kept coming back for more and they're like, oh, this is amazing. I, I want so much more of this. And I was like, oh, really? And that's when I kind of found a passion for like what I felt I was good at in life, which was uh, storytelling and um, yeah, crafting adventures for people to go on and uh, making sure it's a safe environment for everyone to like thrive in and everything. And it, it just like blossomed from there where like everything I wanted to do from then on was all about storytelling and role playing and fantasy and everything like that. So, yeah, things have been really cool. Yeah, that sounds like a really cool journey. What are you playing these days? These days, I'm playing Vampire the Masquerade, 5th edition, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, 5th edition, some kids on bikes. I am also playing some Fallout as well, and a whole manner of like other games as well, you know, because once you just find like one tabletop RPG and you have like a lot of fun with, you start hearing about other games and you're like, oh, I want to play like in the Dune universe or like the Alien universe. And you pick up those games and start learning to play. And you just, it's just like a gateway drug essentially into, uh, <laughs> yeah, playing everything. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. D&D was not my first tabletop RPG. I'm oh, really? One of those weird people. I know. What, did you, what was your first? Um, have you ever heard of a game called Malifaux? No, actually. Okay. So it is, it started as a tabletop minis game. Yeah, kind of like Warhammer, but just much smaller scale. Like you have a starter pack of five to ten figures and not a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, it started off as that. And then in, I guess, 2013, they kickstarted a TTRPG version. And so we we love the minis game. We backed that. And that was actually my first TTRPG. But even then it was, okay. now I guess I should probably find out what D&D is. Yeah. uh, I have, I don't even know. I think I kickstarted like eight games last year. So. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What I would love to hear about is kind of your story from you got into games, you started playing all sorts of different games, but then when did you decide to go more into like the content creation side? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I come from a family of artists. Uh, my mother and father um, are both like artists in their own regard. My mother is also a writer and my father is also a musician. So it's a very creative household. My sister uh, herself is also a like influencer and content creator. Actress is, is like probably a better term. Uh, for it. So I came from an extremely creative household where it was very like endorsed or backed that you should pursue whatever makes your heart sing and whatever makes you like feel like makes your soul happy. Essentially, do not get a corporate job. Do not get a nine to five. Do not go down that hole because in this rat race, you'll never, ever find peace and happiness and fulfillment, you know, in that regard and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so that w- really hit home for us. And we're like, all right, cool. You know, well, Uh, Now that we had this like, you know, lesson learned at a young age that a lot of people don't learn until like they they get to their, you know, 30s or 40s or whatever. Now we got to find out what we want to do. So my sister, it was very easy for her. It was like music and acting and all that kind of stuff. But for me, it was extremely difficult because I couldn't sing. I couldn't really do art. I couldn't really, you know, act very well, at least in my opinion or whatever. And I like could write a little bit, but nothing too like awe inspiring until I got into tabletop RPGs and found out I had a knack for storytelling. And uh, I was like, oh, cool. All right, cool. So I'll just go ahead and do this. Now, I, on a serious note, being so I am Mexican American, I'm Chicano, and and proud of it as well. But to be a BIPOC geek uh, in the fantasy, like um, genre or world is to 
rarely ever see yourself represented. And if you are represented, it's usually in a very negative stereotype, unfortunately. So all throughout life, I had a lot of like identity crisis and issues with self-esteem because I was like, oh my God, like all of these valiant heroes from like, you know, Frodo and like uh, Harry Potter and, you know, the X-Men and Captain America, all of them are so like fair skinned and all of them are so like, you know, European features, like none of them have super curly hair, I guess Frodo does, or like dark skin tones or anything like that. You know, like I don't see myself represented in a good way. If I am, it's the villain or the sidekick or the comic relief or whatever. So that didn't feel good. So going off of that, I knew because I had a lot of friends who also were BIPOC and like, or even LGBTQ who were in the, the geek scene and fantasy scene, you know, and we struggled with World of Warcraft not having good proper representation for skin tones and all this sort of stuff. So I was like, you know what, if I'm going to be the dungeon master here, if I'm going to be the one st- uh, spending time writing these stories and telling stories, if I wanted to be in a world uh, that I wish I could have experienced growing up. Like I could have, like there were people who were like same sex couples at our positions of power and no one questioned them at all. Like maybe they questioned their politics, but they didn't question their, you know, relationships or whatever, or like even BIPOC people in leadership, you know, and roles and like, you know, good shiny hero roles. And no one cared about the color of their skin. They just cared about the content of the character and all that kind of stuff. And people, who played in my games and my sessions really started to love and embrace the, uh, the world that I would build. And they're like, Oh my God, like, like this feels so special and so unique that I can't find this anywhere else. So like, I want more of it. And that's what kind of like started to be this sort of thing that like outshined my own self-esteem or self-doubt where it's like, you can never be a content creator. No one cares what you're going to write. No one X, Y, and Z. But then all these real people like had like just sparkles in their eyes whenever they played in my sessions. And I was like, I think I can create, you know, pretty good content and, and, you know, have a great time with people. So that's when I, and it's like a mixed sort of bag for tabletop RPGs. It's a different story, but I also did that with like my website, the geek life, Dot com where I would interview a lot of creatives and like highlight a lot of BIPOC, you know, cosplayers and go to conventions and review them and be the place where it's a platform where everyone is. Uh, there's a lot of good vibes and a lot of people shine, you know, because that's ultimately what I want to do in this world is to bring more good vibes, you know, so like if there's people that are downtrodden, they don't feel very, you know, represented, or they have anxiety about whatever, at least they know that that I have their back that I will like sing at the top of my lungs about how amazing they are and feature their work and like ask for nothing in return. You know, so that's kind of what I'm doing with the tabletop RPGs now is, you know, spinning these tales and crafting these stories that I wish that I could have participated in when I was younger and everything. So so yeah, Yeah, that is amazing. Let's dive into the geek life. You just gave us a little bit of a preview, but just tell me, like, what is it? What type of content are you covering? Yeah, absolutely. So I run a website called thegeeklife.com. That is thegeeklyfe.com. And for a long time, I think since like uh, 2012, at least a long time for me, we were a place of representation and uh coverage for BIPOC, LGBTQ, anyone, because when I got into the convention scene in like 2012 or so, that's kind of that same time where, where cosplay started to really like boom. But the major cosplayers that everyone loved and adored were all white and they were all type A body types, you know? So they were, like a lot of women were competing with these same body types. Meanwhile, there were so many other women and so many other men that were uh, so talented and so like beautiful in their own regards and everything like that that no one cared about and no one even talked about.
talked about, which actually I, I should tell that story. So the way I actually started the Geek Life was uh, I was at my first convention. I went by myself, didn't have any friends who were like into it at all. I made my first cosplay, spent like $200 buying like lacrosse gear and spray painting it so I could be like an Imperial Guard from Warhammer 40k. And I wandered the convention floor uh, with immense anxiety, too afraid to talk to people or look them in their eyes. Uh, Again, I had like tons of self-esteem issues and everything. And sure enough, the whole reason I went was to meet a very popular cosplayer. And I like waited like all weekend to try to find her and then just try to like, you know, ask for a selfie. That's all I wanted. Got my chance. It went nowhere near how I expected in a negative way and was super brokenhearted and bummed out that like, uh, like all I wanted was just a selfie and it was just a super negative experience. Granted, I hold nothing against that content creator cosplayer because she was probably having a really bad day and had a bad experiences, which led into the experience that I had. But what happened after that was I wandered the convention floor like almost on the verge of tears. Cause I was like, I feel like an idiot. Like I spent all this money and like all this time and energy and all, I like, gathered so much courage to just for this one moment. And I couldn't even get that. Like, Oh my God, I feel so dumb. Why did I even try? Of course I should try anything and all that kind of stuff. But sure enough, I wander into a booth of another cosplayer who was uh, also like Latina. And, um, she, uh, was like, hey, you know, uh, it's good to see you. Da, da, da. She's like, are you okay? Like, are you all right? And I was like, well, you know, uh, sort of, not really, but it, it, you know, it's okay. I don't want to burden you with my feelings or whatever. She's like, no, 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 it's all good. Like uh, she got to sit there and like chat with me and actually get to talk to me. And all the while I was like, oh my God, this human being is like amazing. She's so kind and considerate. And uh, she actually like took a break from what she was doing to actually like, you know, care for me. And yet no one knows her name really. And I was like, I can't believe this is a thing. Like, like, why aren't more people talking about her than the other like major cosplayers? So I was like, oh, well, if no one's going to do it, I'm going to do it, which is like the reoccurring theme in my life. So I like sure enough, went to WordPress, made a website, got to GoDaddy.com, made made it like a, you know, domain and all that kind of stuff. And then just started writing articles and just started reaching out to people and being like, hey, I think you're really cool. I have this website. Do you mind if I ask you questions about, you know, you and your craft and your passions? And people like resonated with it. They're like, oh, my God, no one's ever asked me this or cared. And I didn't think I was that good. And I was like, no, I think you're amazing. So that ended up happening. And because I interviewed so many people, more people heard about it and they're like, well, I want to get interviewed now. And then like, it's, it's one of those weird things where like, I never even like meant to aim for quote unquote, the top or like top tier cosplayers or anything like that. And yet they like by just going to the indie scene and interviewing all the people with a genuine passion, like it just started to build momentum. And then people started to be like, well, I want to get interviewed by the geek life. Like I haven't gotten an interview yet. Why, why what's wrong with me? So then they started reaching out to me and it started to grow and it started to expand where we had like a, a pretty sizable team. And we go to different conventions around the UK, the U S and uh, Canada and all that kind of stuff. Due to COVID, things have really slowed down and I've kind of switched gears over to tabletop RPGs, but all of the interviews are still like up there. I'm still writing articles every so often about different things like in the community and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's a it's a beautiful project. And I really, really enjoy thegeeklife.com because it, it shows so much creativity and support for like other human beings. And like, that's that's pretty much what the website is. I have so many follow-up questions. Of course, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Let's just dive in. So you mentioned that you have a team. Mm -hmm. What what does that team look like? Like, how big is it? How did you find people? And what do they help you out with? Yeah, so prior to COVID, the team was about like 12 people. 
that uh, were spread all across like the US, Canada and the UK and everything. But due to COVID, everything came to a hard stop. And uh, because the thing that, that kept us together were like conventions and reviewing them and all that kind of stuff, because the, the routine now conventions are coming back. So things are starting to come back again a little bit. But this is like an open invitation to anyone who has conventions around them that they'd love to go to. But you know, they they need financial assistance or anything like that. But how it works is um a, usually a cosplayer or a photographer or just a journalist in general uh, would come to us and say like, hey, I have a convention over here in London that I'd really like to go to. Would it be okay if I wrote you an article for that convention and you get me a press pass for that convention? And I'd be like, absolutely, 100%. If, if their work ethic was really good, if their spirit was really good, and they you know, were an all-around good person, um, then it'd be like, all right, cool. Any other conventions you want to go to, please let me know. We'll apply for it, and like, we'll be able to get you in there. And uh, that's kind of how like the team works. So there were photographers and writers and all that kind of stuff that would be able to like come together and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, nowadays, the team is pretty much just me, but that's mostly because, you know, no one really wants to go to conventions right now just because, like, they want to respect the boundaries and, like, you know, health of everyone else and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, what, but when it's, like, in its heyday and all that kind of stuff, we had, like, a Discord filled of, of writers and, like, cosplayers and all that kind of stuff that were just, like, you know, chiming in with all these different article topics and all this kind of stuff. So it was, like, really, really cool. Yeah. So it's it's like kind of slow down right now, but we're probably going to ramp back up when uh, things get a little bit more safe to be in like public gatherings and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. So with this more slowdown, it's mostly you that's doing the writing and yeah. the content creation for it. What type of topics are you covering these days? Mostly it is advice to other content creators, as well as a, a heavy focus in the tabletop role playing scene is is a big one. Uh, because that's what I found to be, cause when, when COVID hit, that's when I like had like a, a breakdown essentially where I was like, oh my God, the entire brand is like reliant on going to conventions. And if we can't go to conventions, like things are going to die for like that brand and all that kind of stuff. Like that's, that's a really scary thought, which like, that was my thought and the thoughts of all these other small business owners and like, you know, that relied on conventions so heavily, uh, but I ended up leaning more into tabletop RPGs uh, during that time. And that's what's really been getting me through. And I found like a like it's it's very enjoyable, you know, uh, to to be in the tabletop RPG scene and, and write more about that kind of content uh, and everything. Granted, we still try our best to feature like articles uh, with recommendations on um, different anime to watch and different like games to check out uh, because we still have a lot of companies that reach out to us and we're like, hey, here's our new game. Could you please test it out and like let let you know people know your opinions? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, personally, my favorite aspect of it right now is being able to shine light on hardworking content creators. So it's kind of like the same mission just expanded from cosplayers or artists to any sort of influencer or content creator. So a lot of articles on the website will be like 10, you know, black creators that you need to follow like right now, or 10 Latinx creators that you need to, you know, check out or you didn't know about, or 10 indies, X, Y, and Z that just like, if, if no one else is going to write about these amazing, hardworking people that I'm going to write about them, uh, essentially. And that's what you can sort of find right now. Granted, the articles have definitely slowed down, but they're still definitely there and uh, easy to find and all that. So, so yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I noticed that you had some podcast episodes out as well. How did those differ from the blog posts? Uh, yeah. So when, when we would go to conventions, 
I made it a point to always interview various creatives, like for YouTube videos and everything. And we would set up the camera, set up the tripod. It, granted, it was a hassle because in almost every video, there would be that one convention goer that just was oblivious, even though we had people being like, no, we're recording, please don't. And they just walk <laughs> straight in front of the interview and the camera and all that kind of stuff. But it's okay. So the way we adapted was by simply doing interview sessions over Twitch and then taking the audio from that and then being able to put it on podcast form. But again, I'm, I'm like definitely trying my best to expand from just cosplayers or artists to like everyone who I think is amazing, which is almost everyone. So <laughs> like, yeah, now it's slowed down to once every every month. But I now interview different creatives and then upload the, it into podcast form. And then a good deal of people like actually check it out and, and enjoy the the interview sessions because they're it's it's about people who they haven't really heard about, you know, because even in the tabletop RPG RPG industry, there will be the like top dogs that everyone, you know, knows and loves and they've like read or heard or watched interviews uh, regarding them. But the good thing about the content that I uh, bring to the table is that you're probably not going to know the people that I'm interviewing. And yet they're still so amazing that by the end of the interview, you're going to want to check them out. And it's a great way to see who's amazing in the indie scene and then watch them essentially rise as a like inevitably get noticed by everyone else in the community. Yeah. So there's a lot of good interviews on the podcast uh, currently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to say that that's something that I enjoy too, is being able to shine a spotlight on folks that aren't the big names that everybody knows about. Yeah, exactly. So yes, I know that you have the Twitch channel. And so you're saying that you've got these interviews going up about once a month over on Twitch. But mm -hmm. yeah, I just love to know more about what inspired you to start your own Twitch channel and how you've decided to kind of break up what the various types of content that you're streaming. Yeah, for sure. So I always find myself in leadership roles uh, because I, I, I'm pretty sure I have like control issues, but I just feel that every time I want to be a follower, I'm just not satisfied with how things are going. So that's kind of like explanation for the website and like the Twitch channel and everything like that. Because like back last year, I was part of a, another like tabletop RPG like channel that was all about like, you know, being a community and having a bunch of shows and doing charity events. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. But then the further I, I dug into that group, I was like, ooh, you know what? Things don't look super good. And things kind of look kind of fishy. And this is weird. Where's the money going? And it was a whole big drama um, that happened. And I was like, ooh, you know what? And then after that experience, it kind of tainted my view of big sort of quote unquote networks that like, you know, had a bunch of people come in, may, you know, work for free for them. And then they justify it by saying that we're a family or whatever. So I was like, that doesn't sit right with me. I don't like that at all. Like the issues in our community are that indies are not being paid for their hard work, time and talent. And you know, the money, whenever it's exchanging hands, get like lost and is very weird. And I don't like that at all. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and take control over the situation, make my own Twitch channel. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, host the same events that I love, which are like, you know, D&D one shot where we raise money for X charity or a D&D one shot where we raise Y money for the actual content creators who are there called uh, and all that kind of stuff. That way I can be the one to oversee where the money's going, make sure it gets everyone gets a cut and make sure everyone knows that they deserve to get paid. They are you know worthy and valid. It's a safe space. And like, you know, be that that what I wish, you know, uh, the experience would be or is in the community sort of thing. So that's kind of like uh, how the Twitch channel came about was just to if it doesn't exist, then I'll create it. That way I can make sure that that the people who I love and, and respect can can feel 
yeah, safe and taken care of. I would love to know the steps that you take to set up your charity streams. Just kind of from the moment that you decide that this is one that you want to do and then how you decide on the game, the cast, which charity and just yeah, how you get all that set up. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, after years and years and years of like mistakes and mishaps and all kind of stuff, I finally have like a solid answer. And uh, the easy one is that if the charity is on Tiltify, which usually means it's a it's a well-known charity, that's a super easy because you can make the Tiltify account, you know, set up the campaign page. And uh, Tiltify, if you don't know, is a website uh, that integrates with Twitch and various other things that also has direct feeds to those charities. So all you have to do is like create your account, Say you want to create a uh, a campaign to raise money for something, choose the charity that you want to raise for, put the amount, and then go. And then you simply have a link, you share it to everyone, and be like, if you'd like to donate to hit this goal, there it is, and all that kind of stuff. So that's one aspect of it. The next thing is finding a way to give back to the community that earns their dollar. Cause it's, I, I never feel right with just being like, Hey, please out of the kindness of your heart, donate, you know, for nothing in return sort of thing. I always try to earn every dollar that comes through, whether it be a tip or a donation. So the, the, biggest asset that I have as a content creator is my comedy and my storytelling. So that naturally leads into tabletop RPG sessions. So um, what I usually do is I go like, all right, we're gonna have a one shot, which is gonna be a tabletop RPG. If it's easier for everyone, we're gonna go with Dungeons and Dragons, because everyone mostly knows Dungeons and Dragons. But if there's another one that we want to do, or it fits better, then we'll do that. But then we're gonna go and find our cast, which I want it to be a diverse cast. And then we're going to go ahead and reach out to these people, let them know the mission and make sure that they like are going to bring their a game to try to help and participate and understand that it's for like, you know, a great cause. And if, and if they're down for it, then it's like awesome, cool. Uh, you know, that's, that's great. If they are like, ah, uh, I don't really know. Then it's like, all right, no, no worries. It's all good. Um, that way you, you always want to work with people. You, uh, my mother said it best. So in life, there's only hell yes or no. There's no in between. So that's the same thing with when you're going to cast people is like you got to make sure that their heart is in it. They're 100% down for it, you know. And if you do, everything will flow and be like magical, essentially. If you have someone who's like on the fence or anything, then you can expect some issues with them where they're going to be on their phone the whole time. They're going to forget what they're doing or like they're back out last minute and all that kind of stuff. And that's just not something you want to bring to the table and everything. So then after you have your cast, uh, you just set up the overlays using canva.com and like, which is a graphic design website that's for free. And uh, you throw it all together on your Twitch stream and you just promote it and promote it and promote it and have everyone else like, you know, quote, retweet and all that kind of stuff. That way it brings awareness to it. And the kicker, which is really, really helpful, is to create incentives for viewers. So I personally like to have silly in-game stuff that makes life easier, harder, or just, you know, goofy for the cast. So for example, I run a show called Homies Helping Homies, where we I gather four content creators together. Uh, we sit down, we play Dungeons and & Dragons, and the viewers are able to tip money to change someone's accent or to change the theme of the game from fantasy to sci-fi or sci-fi to noir or like X, Y, and Z, or even change like into sultry mode. So everyone flirts with everyone for like, you know, a hot minute or like drama mode where it becomes like a novella or a soap opera where like the the most like outlandish you know, thing that could happen happens sort of thing. So it's like a fun, unique experience for the viewers and they have the power with their dollar to make it happen. So that just makes it so much easier to be like, oh, I'm absolutely going to change, you know, I'm going to spend $15 to change my favorite, you know, content creators 
accent to like a valley girl for their orc barbarian or whatever. And it just adds like really silly, fun ways. And before you know it, you're going to hit your goal or surpass it because everyone's having such a great time that it feels worth it that they spent their money on like uh, something and is going to a great cause, you know, specifically for homies helping homies. That's one where the tips are gathered and then split evenly amongst the cast. That way they can fund their passion projects. But for charity games, which I think this weekend, I'll be actually running one for Wounded Warrior Project to raise money for veterans. So yeah, we're going to implement all of those sort of things. That way we can really have a positive impact on the community and viewers who come to to watch have a great time as well as the cast. And yeah, sorry, that was a long-winded answer, but that's essentially my process for it. And if you can't tell, I have ADHD, so I like <laughs> I tend to ramble. So. <laughs> Believe me, I love long-winded answers. That makes my job so much easier. <laughs> Good. So for one thing, I absolutely love all of that. That sounds so much fun and is definitely a great way to keep the audience invested and involved. And then secondly, the hell yes or no Mm -hmm. is just amazing. And I think I'm going to add that to my own kind of motto. It's definitely a great motto. Yeah, it's, it's a good philosophy to live by. Yeah. How do you judge if like let's say that you are trying to get a new cast member and you haven't really worked with them before Mm -hmm. how do you judge if they're going to be a good fit for your group or not well one of the one of the best things you can do is see who's friends of friends so if you go to their like you know twitter page for example and you see like oh so and so are friends with so and so or like following so and so you're like oh cool you know sometimes i'll like if i don't know anything about them and i can't get a good vibe check by their previous content that they posted, then I'll try to reach out to friends and be like, Hey, what's your opinion of this person? I see that you follow them. And, uh, and usually good people know good people. So that I use uh, word of mouth as a great way to justify, you know, playing with someone and granted, like even the, the, the blatant, like checking their past content helps tremendously as well to see like if they're on Twitter and they're just like blatantly just like spewing out toxicity and being really mean and being really rough and all that kind of stuff, then it's just not worth it. Like, like, especially at least for my brand, because mine is all about good vibes and bringing more peace and unity and harmony to the, to the world. And uh, so I can't just have people that are throwing, you know, haymakers verbally the whole time, you know, they have their place for sure, but like not for kind of like what I'm doing. So it's, that's one thing I've kind of learned is that again, it has to be a hell yes or no. So if I, uh, thankfully a lot of content creators have like Twitch streams or like, past projects that they've had. So it's easy to go and check the, you know, how they play and all that kind of stuff and everything. And um, I usually try to find someone who's like, you know, just very flexible and very like they, they're easy to, to bounce off of and they have great vibes. Like even if they're not very good at, at improv, as long as they're having a great time and they're very supportive. Cause I have players who like, are hardcore min maxers where they're playing the game to like be the best and slay all the monsters. They're not really interested in role playing. And then I have the other people who love to role play, who just like are using that as an acting exercise and they're trying their best to bring their characters to life. And I have the comedians who just always want to crack jokes and then like, and then, you know, so it's, it's good to have a little bit of like everyone that way they all play off of each other. Cause I've had groups where they're all comedians and no one actually knows how to play the game. And it's awkward because it was like, Oh, you're moments away from being killed by this giant monster. And we have like 45, minutes left so that's kind of awkward and then i've had times where like i have all min maxers and it's like all right so the whole cast is like super good at monster slaying 
but they're not really role playing and it's not very entertaining, you know, because in my opinion, at least combat is the most boring part of watching a tabletop RPG stream because it's a lot of like rolling dice, figuring out math, you know, talking with a dungeon master to communicate what you're doing sort of thing. So there's not much flavor to it. So I find that like having figuring out what kind of personality or what they bring to the table is good. So that way you can have a good crop of people to play together. And yeah, that's kind of like what I do when when it comes to casting. Hey, entrepreneurs. I love introducing you to new creators every episode, but I could really use your support. I would love to invite you to join our Patreon page, where you'll gain access to behind-the-scenes content, add your questions to upcoming interviews, and you could even receive a shout-out on our site and an upcoming episode. To learn more, go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. And now, back to the show. I want to switch gears Mm -hmm. now and learn about Emerald Templars. So for our listeners that are not familiar with your projects, Mm -hmm. what is this game that you're working on? For sure. So Emerald Templars is my passion project because I have been a fan of Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop RPGs and just a fantasy genre for so long. But again, I never felt really represented in any of those mediums, you know, like uh, in any way, shape or form, like. And even in like Dungeons and Dragons, there'll be situations where they they misrepresent certain cultures. And it's just like, oh, that's really tacky. You know, Um, I don't really like that that much. And one of the major issues is that um, writers from the culture that they're featuring never really get the chance to, to write about their own culture or anything like that. I being who I am, I'm like, well, if no one's going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I like decided to uh, write up this project called Emerald Templars, where It's a dark fantasy tabletop RPG that focuses on a group called the Emerald Templars who are essentially the magic police where they are a group of concerned citizens uh, who live in a world where magic is, is runs rampant. There's chaos magic everywhere that are summoning demons, raising the dead, uh, messing with the elements and all that sort of stuff. And uh, they've oppressed people who aren't very good at magic for a long time. So they're like, all right, all right, we're going to go ahead and get together and we're going to just like essentially like beat up all these people who are like using their magic for abusive means or malicious means and all that kind of stuff. So they go around. It's just all these people that are just trying to better their community with their different skill sets, whether they be like mages or paladins or priests or thieves or what have you. And they just try to help their community out by, by, you know, tackling the weird parts of everything now granted the game itself takes place like a hundred like about a hundred years after the major conflict and after a hundred years of peace and prosperity the emerald templars are kind of thin because they're mostly like symbolic now that they're they're not really used as much or needed because there's been so much peace and prosperity but that's exactly when rumors start to come from every corner of the world that weird things are starting to happen like there's old god you know runes that are being messed with and now things are starting to get weird in the area so they're like hey emerald templars uh can we get a, a group of you guys to go over here and and like check it out i'm sure it's nothing really but like you know it's just in case and they're like sure and for the new the modern emerald templars people can join in like one of three ways where you can be in debt essentially or like uh want to become a politician and want a good like build your renown or you could have committed a crime and it's either like death banishment or joining the emerald templars to like serve for a number of years and it's like i'll I'll take that you know so all these people come to 
like Emerald Templars literally to like pay off their student loans, essentially. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, my father served the Emerald Templars. and He had a great time. It wasn't anything bad at all. He barely had to do anything. So it should be really easy. But sure enough, the players will experience an era of like hardship and a very trying times. And that's going to cause them to uh, and the cool the cool thing about it mechanic wise is is it's its own system. It's a system that I created, but it doesn't just focus on physical health. It also focuses on mental health, because after being a dungeon master for so many years, I always thought about like, damn, this group of adventurers is going to go down to the depths of the earth and fight like horrendous, abnormal creatures that are melting flesh. And like, you know, they're, they're smelling rotting corpses and all that kind of stuff. Like they're all have PTSD and trauma. And yet like game wise, they walk out of that with nothing. They're like, Oh, that was fine. Let's just go get like, let's go kill something else. You know? So for my game, for Emerald Templars, they have to focus on their mental health where they, uh, if they see something weird or they get a bad experience or anything like that, they build anxiety and they build anger and they, they get exhausted from their stuff. And if they don't take care of themselves, it causes trauma, which makes everything harder and worse, you know? Uh, so it's not just that you can physically die. It's that you can actually have so much anxiety that you have a breakdown and you you can't help the other group or you can't help your group because uh, you haven't helped yourself, essentially. So that way it helps to build an environment that's like, all right, all right, we, we've got to like slow down and we've got to take care of each other because if we don't, then, then it, things are going to get way worse. And like, and there's trade skills in the game as well to be able to complement these sort of things. So that way, if you, it ranges from being like a chef that actually makes food, which like, obviously anyone here, if they've ever had a bad day, they go home, they eat their grandmother's cooking and feel better. Like their soul just feels better. And that's kind of the same vibe where like you lessen your anxiety and anger and like, you know, all that kind of stuff by eating like a good cooked meal or like you can be legit become a therapist and be able to help, you know, other adventurers at the campfire, like talk about what they're going through. And that way it, it helps to alleviate those concerns or you can go ahead and be an athlete or a, even an influencer where you're trying to make a name for yourself and build as much renown as possible so that you can like you know become super popular throughout the land and all that so it's definitely a game where a group of people who are normal citizens come to the emerald templars just for one reason or another but then have to do whatever they can to help their community through the darkest times so uh, that's kind of like the game in a nutshell and the vibe of it uh, that I'm creating. Yeah, I think that sounds really interesting. Like, I always like the vibe of, you know, you're not just a band of adventurers who are already kick-ass. You're like, you're yeah. a normal person and you need to deal with some shit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, the other thing I forgot, sorry, was that the game and its major nations, there's like four nations, I believe, uh, that are going to be like in the core book. And they're all influenced by different nations. So one of them is influenced by, you know, South Asia. Another one's influenced by Mesoamerica, meaning the like, Aztec and Mayans and Incas and another one's influenced by uh, various African tribes from North and South Africa and everything. And uh, that way, when players pick this book up, they're going to flip through the pages and they're going to deal with settings that are unlike a lot of the things that they've experienced previously, because a lot of fantasy is is wrapped into like medieval Europe. And we're so used to that idea when it comes to fantasy that this is something that breaks the mold. And uh, you you like, you know, have to experience these different cultures and like 
because a lot of other media will feature them as like savages or they'll feature them as like, you know, like they're only hostile. They, they can't really communicate in a very, you know, posh way or anything. There's just no dealing with them. But that's not the case in Emerald Templars because you see how beautiful these cultures are, how amazing their food is, you know, what festivals they have and all that kind of stuff. And the content will be written by people from those cultures that the way they can actually have the chance to gush about what they love about their culture and uh, bring in different folklore and tales from it. So that way, when you pick up Emerald Templars and even future generations, so brown geeks, you know, uh, or BIPOC geeks when in the future can pick up the book and be like, oh my God, there's a representation like of me immediately. And I, I'm only on page four or something. So yeah, that's the other thing that's really special to me about Emerald Templars. Yes, absolutely. That makes me even more excited for this game. Thank you. Yeah. I'd love to hear about kind of the just development process mm-hmm. from you know, when you first had the idea to do this game and the steps you've taken up to this point and what's next. Yeah, so it's been a wild ride and I thought this was going to be way easier than it was, but I always think that when I take on a new project because essentially there was another game system that was known for like, all you have to do is pick up this game It gives you the rules and you put your own world over it. And I was like, done. That's super easy. All I have to do is make up the world building and then I can use someone else's system and then good to go, you know. But unfortunately, as I like, you know, was working on the game, working on the world building and working on the system built into this sort of like system, there were some roadblocks that I didn't anticipate that were like legal roadblocks, unfortunately, with contracts and commercial license and all kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, this doesn't feel right anymore. This doesn't feel good. And I was like, okay, well, uh, if that's the case, I think the best thing for me to do is just to create my own system. That way I can have complete ownership over it and I can oversee everything. And there's nothing that weird can happen. Or if the reputation of the, like the game designers like becomes weird, I, I don't have to be affected by that. So I then like did a lot of research, watching a lot of YouTube videos, going on Reddit to, to game design subreddits and uh, just reading and, and under, trying to understand understand game design and all that kind of stuff. And that's when I started to actually work on the core elements of Emerald Templars and figure out like, okay, out of all these tabletop RPGs that I played, what is it that I like? And what is it that I don't like? And for me, it's the role playing aspect that I really was attracted to, and some complexity when it comes to combat, not an overwhelming complexity, but you know, enough where you had a lot of things you could do if you wanted to for it. So then I started to really work on it. I've had a lot of trials and errors with a lot of play tests where like, I'd be like, all right, guys, what'd you think of that game? And they're like, well, D'Angelo, it's got a lot. It needs Jesus. And then uh, I was like, okay. So thankfully it's now in a state where it feels strong and play tests are having a lot of positive feedback. They're like, oh my God, I really like the way this plays. Like, I really like the fact that, you know, uh, you have to take care of your like, you know, your anger and anxiety and physical health and exhaustion and sanity and everything. And if you don't, you get certain bonuses to it, but you also get a lot of hindrances and, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z stuff, you know, and all that. So it feels good because like, you have to also like when you do game design, you have to think like, what is your philosophy as a game designer? And, uh, and like, what do you, what do you, in your opinion, feel that is most fun about games and all that kind of stuff, and then build a game around that concept, uh, which when you pick up different games, you're like, oh, I could make a game easily. But then when you start getting into it, you're like, oh my God, I need to have an answer for every single question. So if someone picks up your game and says, I want to do underwater combat, how does that work? Then you have to have an answer for them essentially. So that's been like, Uh, the tricky part about it, but it's also been a lot of fun because it's one of those things where it's like, I'm creating a game that I wish existed already, both in like the lore and setting wise, and also the game mechanics sort of wise. And that alone 
or even putting that aside, then it goes into the writers. Like, like, like I said, I want to feature a very diverse world inspired by real like cultures. Um, so it's reaching out to these writers who are from these cultures and they're, they exist. They're out there. That's the first thing. Cause anytime anyone has done a project like this, they go like, well, I just couldn't find writers from Saudi Arabia. You know, they just don't exist. And it's like, no, they do exist. They actually like legitimately one Google search or one like Twitter search. You can find them in, in you know, in masses and all that kind of stuff. So, but it's also like, like working with them and being like, Hey, you know, I'd really love for you to work on this project. Here's the idea behind it. Like, you know, um, how much is your pay rate, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, and then figuring out how you're going to actually manufacture the book and how you're going to like, you know, do all that kind of stuff. So, um, thankfully I've done a lot of research and I've answered a lot of those questions and things are looking really strong for it. Uh, so I'm really excited because actually in April, um, we're going to be going ahead and launching the Kickstarter. That way we can get funding to be able to make physical copies of the book and like get additional artwork and like, you know, have um, some more special guest writers come in and be able to write more on everything and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, it's been a whole process. I feel stronger for it. And I have a lot of respect for anyone who's designed a game because it's not easy. It's it's also been like <laughs> a taxing experience, but, but a lot of fun. Yeah. How far along do you plan to be in the development when the Kickstarter launches versus what's planned to be created after it funds? Yeah. So um, by the time the Kickstarter starts, where the game's going to be is that the game mechanics and the overarching lore uh, will be essentially completed. Like granted, we're going to have play tests all throughout the year to get additional feedback so we can change gears and all that kind of stuff. But the only thing that's going to be undone is the actual artwork because I can't do that myself as well as the writing for these different cultures because I, I can't do that you know myself. So I have to wait uh, to get the funding because I never ever want anyone to do anything for this project unless they're being paid for it in, and all that kind of stuff. Because there's a lot of people who hear about it and they're like, I would do that for free. Like I would absolutely Absolutely, you know, but I never want that because everyone deserves to get paid. So the the Kickstarter is really going to be to fund the artwork and the writing for those writers, as well as the editors and the graphic design, like you know, editors, and then to have a sensitivity consultant come in and be able to review the material that's in Emerald Templars to ensure that it's it looks good. Like, because if there's anything problematic or anything weird, like I absolutely want to address it and want to fix it because that's how I would want like another tabletop RPG to show that care and consideration when taking on a project that involves other people's like cultures uh, because with time and time again we've seen big companies misrepresent uh or just completely not represent various cultures and all that kind of stuff so so yeah so I, for my stuff it's going to be mostly done and kicks uh, like granted playtest will be the thing that'll change but for the artwork and the writing that's the thing that that reliant on the funding amazing I'm definitely looking forward to that launching and I'm excited to see everything develop over time. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's one of those things where like, even though I've grown emotionally to the point where I don't have as much self-esteem, it's still like there in the back of my mind being like, no one's going to buy this book. No one's going to care. So it's, it's good to hear that people like uh, actually legitimately care. So it's cool. Yeah, no, I think it is so important to get more stories and games out there that are more representative because we we have way too many Eurocentric things out there. And Yeah, exactly. And and it feels like so many of the things that we do have that, you know, quote, feature other cultures mm-hmm. are not written by those people. And 
that is not the perspective that we need. Exactly. Yeah. Which I, I love Dungeons and Dragons with all my heart and soul. And I, cause I've written for D&D Beyond, like on articles about, you know, various books and everything. And I've like, uh, I work with Wind Warrior Project to run Dungeons and Dragons for like veterans to help them through various issues that they've had in the military and their experience and all that kind of stuff. So I have a huge passion for these various games and everything that they feature and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's space and there's, uh, there's there's space for this kind of game that brings more representation to the table and diversity and hopefully will help like the next generation be able to feel more represented in the in the culture and the community than we have previously definitely okay we've talked about a lot you do so much and it's just <laughs> awesome thank you yeah <laughs> but yeah so there's a question there's a couple questions that i love to ask in every interview sure which, you know, looking back over all of this time as a content creator with the Geek Life and working on Emerald Templars, mm-hmm. and what would you say has been the most challenging part? I, I would absolutely 100% say the most challenging part is dealing with my own self-esteem for this stuff. Because it's, it's one of those things. If you believe in le- uh, horoscopes, I'm a Leo. So uh, Leos absolutely, like, want to be the center of attention or very ambitious and all that kind of stuff. And, like, I fit that to a T. But that's also wrapped around a lot of anxiety because like getting serious again, you know, uh, I am Mexican-American and I am extremely like dark brown. Like if you compare me to my sister, uh, she's very, very like olive skin and she's very, very light, you know, and there's a lot of colorism in our community, um, not just like the overarching like human being community, but just even the Latino like, you know, Mexican community, the darker your skin, the less you're the less of a human being you're perceived as, you know, and even though it's gotten better over time, that's still something that, that is really driven into your head, especially when you turn on the TV or look in magazines or look in, you know, any sort of media. And you see that people prefer people with light skin tones than dark skin tones. So that really hit me hard to be like, Oh my God, you know, I'm worthless. There's no, there's no heroes that are dark skin like me or like, you know, X, Y, and Z. There's nothing like that, you know? So I, I, there's no way I can accomplish anything. So over the years that, that self-esteem has like, granted been challenged and been overcome slowly and surely by my ambition, because I would be like, Oh, I really want to do this thing, but I'm scared because like, you know, of my anxiety, but then sure enough, I'll just do it. And then I'll succeed and find out that people really enjoy what I'm doing. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That wasn't too scary, but then it'll like happen again, essentially. So over the years, I finally found the answer, which is therapy, you know, straight up therapy, which has helped me tremendously to be able to talk to therapists and uh, for them to challenge my own way of thinking. And because I would be like, well, you know, this person said they didn't really like me and they didn't believe in my projects. And I just can't convince them that like, it's it's a good idea. And I don't know what to do. And they're like, why does their opinion matter so much? Like, can't you just do it without their opinion or input? Like what makes them so powerful in your life and in your mind? Like if if they say no, will it fail and, and crumble to pieces? And I'll be like, oh uh, no. And they're like, all right, well you you don't need their opinions. You know, do what you feel is best and go forward with that because time and history has shown that every time you pick up you know tools and try to create something, it always goes well. And that's how the future is going to be as well, as long as you maintain this like good ethic and you know hard work and all that kind of stuff and everything. And I was like, oh okay, 
And then like that kind of like really had a breakthrough for me. And uh, because there'd be a lot of times where I'd have panic attacks, not, and no one would say anything to me. No one would do anything. No, but my anxiety would just tell me that like, you know, it's going to fail because that person didn't answer your text message and they hate you. And like, they're, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I'd be like, no. And then like, uh, so I'd be like a lot of self-defeating sort of things. But um, thankfully through therapy, I was able to overcome a lot of that stuff and still am, uh, you know, going to therapy to, to work on that stuff. Cause as, I climbed the ladder higher and higher in this sort of content creator industry thing. Things get get worse essentially. You you're exposed to more people. There's more opinions. There you will find people that don't like you for whatever reason, no matter how hard you try, and you can't please them. And you have to be okay with that. And you have to like swallow that. And there's also going to be times where you fail. And if you're the higher you climb, the bigger your failures are going to be because more people are going to see it. They're going to notice it. They're going to critique it and all that kind of stuff. You just have to take that L and sort of swallow that. So it's that's the hardest part for me is uh, my self-esteem and anxiety and making sure that like logic and reason have a very strong presence, you know, whenever I do anything, because always, especially with ADHD, because when when like I'm happy, I'm like super over the moon happy. But when I'm sad, it's like abysmal. The world's going to end and all that kind of stuff. And there's no in between. Yeah, that would be the, my biggest thing is, is my own self-esteem and anxiety for sure. Yeah, I can somewhat relate. I've got depression and anxiety as well. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, do you have any kind of mantras or exercises or things that help you when you're having a really bad day? Yeah, for sure. So my mom has a lot of mottos and a lot of like, like spiritual stuff, quote unquote, that she always uses to like help um, herself like go through things. And I've kind of adopted them as well. Where like it's it's literally just manifesting, quote unquote is what it's called, is where you only say the things that you want. You don't say the things that you don't want. So for example, if you're sick, you you don't say like, I don't want to be sick anymore. Instead, you say like, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm going to be healthy. I am healthy, you know, sort of thing. So when it comes to projects, you'd be like, this will succeed. This will be great. People will love it. People will, you know, enjoy it and all kind of stuff. And hearing yourself say that with like pride and passion and with your full chest, especially if you're looking in a mirror, it can like convince you that that's the reality, you know, and that helps out at least me tremendously to be able to, to pump myself up and to be like, this is going to succeed. You know, you're a good person. You're very smart. You're kind hearted. People genuinely like you and all that kind of stuff and not focus on the negative uh, because there's no, there's no reason to, you're not going to, it's not going to heal you or help you to uh, spout negativity and all that kind of stuff. Like granted, there's realism where you're saying like, all right, you know, we don't have enough money in the budget to make this work. But then there's like, you know, the the pessimistic where it's like, even if we spend all this money, no one's going to like it sort of thing. So it's just like focusing on the positives and uh, making sure I hear myself with my own voice say that and also look myself in the eyes when I do that is the biggest thing that that helps me. Yeah, I love that. I think that is great advice. Yeah, thank you. Let's flip that around. So kind of same start to the question of just when you look back over the past couple of years, building Geek Life working on this game and just all the content creation, what would you say has been the most rewarding part? It would definitely be the small moments uh, where someone is so genuinely appreciative of what I've what I've been doing, you know, because a lot of times the higher you climb in the content creation sphere, a lot of things become more shallow and more like hollow and vapid where everyone, I don't know, it's kind of weird to say, but um, Every so often, someone will break the mold. And like, like for example, the, the recently, there was a player who I had as a guest on my Vampire the Masquerade show. And we did the session. Everyone had a blast. They were all giggling. had a great time. The viewers loved it and everything. And then we ended the stream. 
And she goes, D'Angelo, I want to say thank you for for having me on as a guest, which everyone does when they're a guest. You know, it's just like the polite thing to do. But she goes like, I actually was a part of a Vampire the Masquerade group about a year and a half ago. And I had someone who like did weird things with my character, would mind control me and make my character do things or whatever. And it made me extremely uncomfortable. And when I tried to tell the dungeon master or storyteller about it, he did not comply or do anything to like help fix it. He just let it happen. And I felt so vulnerable and like, you know, uh, scared about that, that I didn't touch the community or do anything with it for like a year and a half. And when you reached out to ask me if I wanted to be a part of this, I wanted to say no and I, I like, I wanted to say no, but then I knew that you were such a safe, you know, person that you created like good vibes. And there's no way that I could ever imagine you putting me through that. You know, if I said there was an issue, you would do everything you could to bend over backwards to help out with it and make sure I felt okay. And that's what made me say yes to your session. And sure enough, you were like, I was right uh, to trust in you because it's been a great experience, like getting to, you know, like play with you again. And there's been a lot of like instances of that, you know, whether it be representation or like having a group, you know, just of a full field of women or like having all trans players or whatever. Like I always try my best to make sure that everyone feels comfortable and safe and have a great time. And when people acknowledge that, cause I'm not, you know, obviously like every content creator, there's going to be the highs and there's going to be the lows. And during the lows, you question yourself as to like, am I even having an impact on the community? Is this even worth it? Like, like, should I just get a normal job and like, you know, X, Y, and Z or whatever. But then in those brief, genuine moments, it reminds you that like, yep, we're doing the right thing. This is a hell yes. You know, my, my passion and my goals are all aligning and like, it's all, you know, good stuff. So those are my favorite moments when I'm reminded that the work I'm doing is legitimately helping other people. That is so special. I'm just grateful as an audience member to have you providing those kind of atmospheres too. And that it's just, it's fun. It's fun to watch. It's just like always a good time. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I know we've got Emerald Templars, of course, coming up very soon, Mm -hmm. but are there any other projects or things that we haven't talked about that you've got coming up or goals you're working towards? Yeah, so the the Twitch channel is like the best place if you ever want to support me. Um, definitely follow the Twitch channel as well as my Twitter because I every month I am running D and D session or tabletop RPG sessions to raise money for great causes and charity. So this month is Wounded Warrior Project that goes to helping veterans. Next month I believe is to uh, Jasper's Game Day to help with suicide prevention and so on and so forth. So any participation or sharing people could do to help out with that would help tremendously because that goes to help our community in real ways. Um, there's also homies helping homies which we just had our episode this month but every month we do uh, a session on the third friday that brings together four passionate content creators and uh, we you know perform as hard as we can in front of an audience and they get to like influence the show and uh, at the end of the night the tips are split up evenly so everyone goes home with money in their pockets to help fund you know to buy new mics new webcams new equipment whatever they need or even just rent or food and yeah those would be the major things because i'm trying my best to help to help the community in in real ways. And if anyone ever wants to help out, those are the ways to do it. Awesome. So where can they find you, your Twitch channel and all the places? Yes. So you can find me on all social medias at that underscore D'Angelo. That's Twitch, Twitter, Instagram. I don't really use Facebook too much anymore. Um, but, uh, TikTok, I sort of use where I like give some advice to content creators, but I'm still learning TikTok. I use mostly use it when I'm going to pick up my like stepson, uh, from school and I'm in the, like the, the line waiting for him and all kind of stuff. So they're not very great videos, but like Twitter and Twitch are the, probably the best ways to find me. 
Awesome. Yeah, I will include links to those in the show notes. D'Angelo, this has been so fun and such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You just finished another episode of Roll, Play, Grow. To check out the show notes from today's episode, you can go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. To keep up with every episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice. And if you're enjoying the show, I would absolutely love if you would leave me a review and share this episode with your friends. Your review might even get featured on an upcoming episode. To follow me on Twitter, you can either find me at lightheartadv for our business account or at KetraRPG for tweets on gaming, my dog Bowser, and other random shenanigans. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Role Play Grow. Grow.